Welcome to this clinical law briefing. My name is Robert Wheeler. I work in Southampton as a children's surgeon and clinical lawyer and hope this podcast concerning a legal aspect of clinical life will interest you. This recording reflects on parents participating in clinical ethical committees. In a recent case, a High Court judge noted with surprise and concern the lack of parental involvement in the deliberations of a hospital's clinical ethics committee regarding the options for the treatment of their daughter. This begs the question of the extent to which parents should be involved and what role the clinical ethics committee fulfils. The little girl in question, called X, is nine years of age. A healthy twin, she suffered hemolytic uremic syndrome as an infant, followed by end-stage renal disease and subsequent transplantation. During her initial HUS, she acquired a severe brain injury, leading to cortical blindness, severe developmental delay, dystonia and four-limb cerebral palsy. During the same illness, she suffered gut ischemia and remains entirely dependent on parental nutrition. This, in turn, has led to extremely difficult vascular access and lymphedema. X had spent only 16 days out of her past seven years at home. Such is her dependence on medical and specialist care. An application was made by the hospital to seek a declaration that both 1. Optiflow non-invasive ventilation and 2. Readmission to an intensive care ward were contrary to her best interests. Supported by expert evidence, the court found that X should be provided with Optiflow to alleviate symptoms of respiratory distress under certain circumstances, and that the fluctuations in and unpredictability of X's condition made it impossible to provide the declaration sought by the hospital. The judge described the Clinical Ethics Committee as reaching a consensus, and these are her words, that the focus should be on the palliative care to maximise X's comfort and quality of life prior to death. This would indicate that the court considered the CEC to be acting as a decision maker, whereas in reality, the conventional function of a CEC, i.e. a clinical ethics committee, is to set out clinical ethical options from which the clinicians in charge of the case will draw their own conclusions. It must be thus. The CEC members cannot possibly know the patient or their pathology or their relatives in sufficient detail to reach a final decision but it is usual for there to be more than one subtle clinical option to be available in any given situation. The question for the CEC is whether each variation is lawful and ethical. The court also noted that the clinical ethics process did not involve the parents prior to the meeting of the committee. The judge made it clear that, in her words, the absence of any prior consultation or participation of the parents cannot be good practice and should generally be unacceptable. Now this is plainly true. Any clinical team seeking an opinion from their CEC should consult with the parents or the relatives of an older person prior to a meeting so that the interests of the patient are fully appreciated during the discussion relating to the lawful and ethical options open to the clinicians. In X's case, it is not entirely clear as to what extent her parents' views or involvement was canvassed prior 
to that CEC meeting. Whilst the judge found that there had been no involvement, the parents asserted that their views were dismissed out of hand. This perhaps reflects disconnect or disagreement between the clinical and parental positions rather than an absolute lack of involvement. The judge reflected on the sparse national standards for clinical ethics committees, noting no evidence for the existence of national protocols or definitive guidance as to the involvement of patients or their families in the meetings or decisions. This by itself she considered to be an issue of medical ethics. The court conceded that meetings in the absence of patients or relatives enabled, as she put it, an uninhibited and frank exchange of professional views and information. Whilst reiterating the need for guidance on patient and family participation to ensure that they can be informed in advance as to the arrangements being put in place. This would include the necessity for the CEC to meet and the proposed agenda, along with information about the outcome of the meeting. This rare judicial advice on clinical ethics committees is welcome. It should put on notice clinicians seeking CEC advice regarding their clinical options to ensure that there is a clear view from parents or those befriending adult incapacitated patients as to where they believe their relatives' best interests lie. It seems as though clinicians should also be diligent in informing those supporting the patient through the CEC process before it begins, as well as the patient herself, if she has the capacity or competence to be involved. In addition, to ensure that the options identified by the Clinical Ethics Committee are disclosed to the patient where possible, or to her family. I hope this was useful. But if you would prefer to read rather than to listen to me, by all means look at the Clinical Law website on the UHS webpage or type Clinical Law into a search engine.